One of the most famous characters in all of English literature is Shakespeare's Macbeth. Not a real happy guy. Um, and uh, as he neared his end, the end of his life, as he approaches death, in frustration, he looks back on his life and he gives us kind of a summary statement of how he views life at that point in time. And uh, his soliloquy goes something like this. Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps in this petty pace from day to day to the last syllable of recorded time. And all our yesterdays have lighted fools the way to dusty death. Ouch, ouch, brief candle. Life's but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It's a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. There's much in this brief soliloquy that we might find fascinating. And uh, like I said, it's not a real happy passage. But what strikes me about this, these last words of Macbeth, what strikes me is how he is wrestling with the mundane aspects of day-to-day life. And as he looks back on his life, as he summarizes his life, Macbeth seems to be a man who is trapped in the flow of time. A man so trapped in the days of his life that he can't really grasp the big picture of the weeks and the months and the years, the decades even of his life. You can hear it in the sadness of tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. Normally, we look forward to tomorrow. Macbeth doesn't. You may be familiar with the old saying, so-and-so can't see the forest for the trees. Sometimes this saying can be a bit confusing, and, but I, I think I understand it. And I believe that that statement, he can't see the forest for the trees, I believe that that statement applies to Macbeth in this situation. As Macbeth looks back on his life, it seems to me that he has missed the forest for the trees. And now it's time for us to take a look back on Isaiah. And please allow me to warn myself and encourage you to not miss the forest for the trees. In other words, when we look back on the forest of Isaiah, it would be very easy for us not to see the big picture. It would be so easy for us to focus in on all those beautiful trees that make up the forest of Isaiah. But if we do that, we'll miss the beauty of the forest too. We don't want to do that. I always come to these, I'll call them summary sermons, I always come to these summary sermons with anticipation, with excitement, and yet with a sense of sadness too. I remember when we wrapped up our 43 uh, Odyssey, 43 sermons on, on the book of Mark. We spent almost an entire year in the book of Mark, and when we got to the end of it, I was genuinely sad to leave Mark. And I felt the same way about 
our study on the book of John. And we've been through Genesis and James and, and other passages as well. And I'm really looking forward to our next sermon series, which is on Proverbs. But when we come to these messages, I want to make sure that we don't miss the forest for the trees. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us. Father, please help us as we take another look back at Isaiah. And please bless Brother Ken Kangas as he will bring us the message next Sunday as, as you will. As he too looks back on our time in Isaiah, help us to remember those salient points that you want to resonate in our hearts, to change our lives. And we pray all these things humbly in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. So if we remember some of the more outstanding passages, stories, prophecies, images in the book of Isaiah, I compare them to beautiful trees. So before we take a look at the forest, we need to look at a few of these trees. Tree number one. Will you not remember the massive oak tree of Isaiah's vision of God? In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah has a vision of God. And it goes like this, Isaiah 6 verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne. And the hem of His robe filled the temple. Seraphim were standing above him. They each had six wings. With two they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. And with two they flew. And one called to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. His glory fills the whole earth. Isaiah had a vision of our awesome God. A God so big that it wasn't His presence that filled the temple. It wasn't his robe that filled the temple. It was the hem of his robe that filled the temple. Recently, Rhonda and I were able to travel to Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, if you'll look at our Isaiah poster there on the wall, you see the wall of Jerusalem. And that's, that's one of the retaining walls. And that's the Temple Mount. And on top of the Temple Mount now currently stands the Dome of the Rock. And the Dome of the Rock is big. And if you see a picture of Jerusalem that backs up, maybe from the Mount of Olives, a little bit different view than what's in that poster. If you see a picture of Jerusalem, you cannot miss the Dome of the Rock. It is massive. Historians tell us that Solomon's temple, the place where God chose to dwell, Solomon's temple was twice as big as the Dome of the Rock. It's a big structure. It dominates the landscape. It was one of the seven great wonders of the ancient world. And Isaiah said, temple's nothing compared to God. It wasn't God's presence that filled the temple. It wasn't God's robe that filled the temple. It was God's, the hem of God's robe that filled the temple. We serve a big and awesome God. And so when I think of this vision that Isaiah had of God, I think of a massive oak tree. And when I think of, I mean, hey, if I was from California, I might be thinking about redwoods or sequoias, but I'm from Tennessee, so I think of big oak trees. Even Florida, I think of those big oak trees in Pensacola that uh, I would study under or pray under. Massive trees. 
And I associate those trees with the bigness of our awesome God. That's one tree I would see in the forest. Another tree I would see would be the lowly dwarf hackberry tree. And I, I see that when I think of Isaiah's view of himself in the presence of a big and awesome God. And in that same chapter, Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah says this, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips and live among a people of unclean lips. And because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of armies. Our humble selves, so small in comparison to our big God, so sinful as compared to our righteous God, so socially incomplete because we live among a sinful people, a sinful people every bit as sinful as we are, and we are as every bit as sinful as the sinful people that we live among. We only see ourselves in truth as we are really, as we really are, when we see ourselves as Isaiah did, as compared to the king, the Lord of armies. In Sunday school today, we talked about the king. We talked about how great it was to have a king to follow that loved God and served God, and how terrible it is when we have a king that doesn't love God and doesn't serve God. And we saw the juxtaposition of Saul a man after Israel's own heart, and then we see David, a man after God's own heart. But even the picture of David is incomplete. Because David was a man, and only the son of David is sinless and perfect. And so when I think about trees, I think of that mighty, massive oak tree of God's presence, and I think of a lowly dwarf hackberry tree that symbolizes us and where we are in relation to Him. And it is only when we elevate ourselves and think of ourselves greater than we are that we run into trouble because then our relationship with God is skewed. Ron and I have been talking about buying and planting a few trees. We like to do that. There are a couple places in my backyard that uh, there's a void or a vacuum and I want to alter the view. And so just yesterday I talked to a, a nursery man and I talked to him about trees and I said, I want, I want the most beautiful big hackberry tree that you've got. Now how many of you think I really said that? I don't want a hackberry tree. I want an oak tree. I want a big, massive oak tree that's going to do its job, that has leaves in the spring and the summer and holds its leaves through the fall. We talked about that yesterday. I don't want a hackberry tree there. I want an oak tree. But when I think about myself and my sinfulness and the people that I live among, I know that we don't compare to God in size or in spiritual stature. And then there's that life-changing, life-giving conversation between an awesome God and His humble servant. And it's like the roles are reversed because God in humility says, who should I send? Who will go for us? And then Isaiah steps up. He's the man that stands in the gap and he says, here am I, send me. 
And I would submit to you, Christian, that that is the answer we always give to God when He asks us a question. Here am I. Send me. So if we remember some of the more striking, beautiful passages in Isaiah, these beautiful trees, we remember the massive oak tree. We think of the lowly dwarf hackberry tree, but there's one more tree that I would point out, and this would be the beautiful maple tree of the promise of the coming Messiah. There's that incredible passage in Isaiah chapter 9 where Isaiah prophesies, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. His dominion will be vast, and His prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over His kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. What a beautiful maple tree that we have there in Isaiah. But that maple tree was cut off at the stump because in Isaiah 53, Isaiah, and I'll just read one verse from Isaiah 53, but he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. The punishment of our peace was upon him and we are healed by his wounds. The beautiful maple tree of how God bridged the gap between an awesome, mighty, righteous God and a lowly, humble, sinning person like myself. And He chose to do it through His beloved Son, the suffering servant, Jesus Christ. And so these three passages in which I have compared them to beautiful trees, they're representative of so many, many more passages that we've actually studied in the last six months here in Isaiah. And so you can see how easy it is for us to focus on the trees, those beautiful trees, and lose the big picture of Isaiah. But I don't want to do that. I want us to step back now, take a bird's eye view, and look at three big pictures in Isaiah. First of all, I want you to remember that Isaiah is like a mini Bible. You know how many books there are in the Bible? Who knows? 66. How many chapters in Isaiah? 66. You know that the Bible has two grand divisions, the Old Testament and the New Testament. You know Isaiah has two grand divisions. Isaiah chapter 1 through 39, and then that remarkable shift in Isaiah 40, where Isaiah says, comfort ye, comfort ye my people, and everything from Isaiah 40 through 66 it's like it's a different book. It's a new book. In the first division, which, by the way, has 39 chapters, and the Old Testament has 39 books, that first division, the emphasis is on God the Father. In the second division, the second part of Isaiah, Isaiah's 40 through 66, 26 books. 27 books. Same as the New Testament. The emphasis is on Jesus, the Son. So that's one of the big pictures. When you look at Isaiah, when you study Isaiah, you're looking at a microcosm of the Bible as a whole. The second big picture is how Isaiah treats time. 
So much of Isaiah, he talks about what God has done in the past. But he also talks about what God is doing in the present. And of course, it's a strong emphasis of what Isaiah is doing in the future. What the Lord will do in the future. It reveals the future. So whenever you are reading and studying and praying through your your devotions in Isaiah, you, you always have to be asking yourself, where are we in time? Are we in the past? Are we in the present? Are we in the future? For they're all there. This timeless book focuses on time. So the first big picture is Isaiah is a mini Bible. The second big picture is Isaiah in reference to time, past, present, and future. The third big picture that I would have you see is this. Isaiah has shockingly accurate prophecies. Just off the top of my head, I can think of nine prophecies that were issued and already fulfilled. And some of these prophecies were spoken hundreds of years before they were fulfilled. And they were issued with such amazing specificity that when historians and Bible scholars and critics looked back on it, they said, oh, well, Isaiah had to be written after the fact because they are so remarkably accurate. But the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls proves that they were, in fact, written in some cases up to 800 years before they were fulfilled. One of the prophecies was the rise of Assyria. And that was actually taking place during Isaiah's lifetime. But Isaiah predicted that they would rise. He also predicted that the northern kingdom would fall to Assyria. He also predicted that Judah would almost fall to the Assyrians. And then the rise of Babylon and the defeat of Judah, the captivity of Judah, the Babylonian captivity. And then amazingly, Isaiah predicted that a certain individual, a Persian king, specifically named Cyrus, that God would use Cyrus to free the people of Israel and have them return to their homeland. Amazing specificity. And then of course, the greatest prophecy series of all, the birth, the life, the brutal death, the substitutionary death of the suffering servant. And these nine incredible prophecies and fulfillments are part of the reason why we look at the Bible and we know that it's the Word of God. We recognize its veracity, its truthfulness. And so I ask those who follow Buddha, where are your prophecies? Where are your fulfilled words? I ask those who follow Islam, where are your prophecies? Where are your fulfilled words? I ask those who follow modern day science, because that's a religion too, where are your prophecies? Where are your fulfilled words? The prophecies and fulfillment in Isaiah build such a strong case of the accuracy and truthfulness of God's Word that we ignore it at our peril. Now we've spent the last six months studying, working our way through this incredible book, and I hope that you are more aware now and more intrigued by this beautiful book, but the individual passages and the big picture. And I hope we've been able to show you the forest and the trees. And I trust that God has used His Word and will continue to use His Word to bring us all closer to Him and closer to each other.
I was thinking about doors opening and doors closing and it seems like when you reach the end of a series like this that a door is closing and I got to thinking about my garage door because I locked myself out yesterday. I got up early and I went into the garage and I closed the door after me and when I went to go back in I realized I had locked myself out. No problem, I'll go around outside, there's another door. But the alarm is set up on that one to go off immediately and Rhonda was still asleep. Uh, Rhonda was, uh, Elise may still have been asleep. And when that alarm goes off, it's a real, it's the real deal. Uh, it'll get your attention. But I think about my relationship to that back door quite a bit. I, I have a troubled relationship with the entrance into my garage. I, I have walked out that door and fallen down the steps before onto the concrete floor and uh, every bit as hard as this concrete floor and if you've fallen on this concrete floor you know that this is the real deal. So I've fallen off of those steps coming out of that back door. So now I go a little bit slower and I watch what I'm doing. But I've only fallen once. I've locked myself out many times. And so I try to remember when I'm going through that door, set the lock so that I can get back in easily. And I hope that we've done that with Isaiah for you. I hope we've set the lock so that we can get back in easily. That we can go back in, just in and out. That Isaiah has become more familiar to you. That you won't be as intimidated by Isaiah as, as I was when we started this study. Because it is a big book. It is an important book. It is a book that God has used. It is an amazing book. And I hope that you're able to get in and out now easier and that you remember not to lock the door and that you can get back and forth. And I also hope this, that you want to get back to this door, through that door, to see what the Lord has for us in His precious Word. And if you love Isaiah just a little bit more than you did when we started, then that's a good thing.